0: Good morning, church. Guys, feeling good today? Good, good, good. Online people, how you feeling today? Good, good. Go ahead and share like uh, my, my brother Eric said. Uh, share it. We love to uh, let the internet be a better place because you pressed a button today. So uh, we are in a series called Insecure. Uh, anybody got any insecurities? Okay, cool. Are everybody who didn't raise their hand, they were insecure about saying it. So that's cool. Um, Grab your Bible. Uh, the passage we're going to be diving in today is in Matthew chapter, wait for it, 7. We are in the home stretch people. Matthew chapter 7. Yes, praise God. Um, uh, grab your Bible, go to Matthew chapter 7. As you're turning there, I want to give you guys an update on something that's coming up, happening today. Uh, today, right after this service, is Connecting point. Lunch, okay? Connection point, lunch is for anybody who is new to MCC. And and honestly, hear me on this. Your newness can be today, okay? Today can be your first time. Man, we want to let you have lunch on us today to help you get connected to MCC. Like, there's no strings attached. This is just a moment where you can come in and get to learn a little bit more about who we are and what we represent as a church of Jesus Christ, okay? So um, here's who this is not for. If you've been around MCC for like four or five years and you're not connected yet, like, this isn't for you. You. Just get connected. Like you've been here long enough to hear me bang on that enough. Okay, um, if you've been here for like four months and you're just kind of coming in, checking it out, sitting in chairs, you know, not really connected. You're not in a group yet. You're not connected, serving on a team somewhere. Um, then this is a perfect opportunity. Again, the reason people will leave churches and say, well, I really liked it there, and those people were nice. And every now and then, there was a decent sermon. But I just never felt like I got connected was because they ignored invitations to freed breadsticks and chicken parmesan like the one I'm offering you today, okay? So that is going to be today, right after this service, so hang out for that. You guys at Matthew chapter 7 yet? Come on, Matthew chapter 7. Let's do this. Matthew chapter 7, starting in verse 7, all right? Matthew 7, 7. This is Jesus' most famous sermon ever recorded. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. I've been journeying through this, We're coming down the home stretch. Jesus is sitting on a hillside in Galilee, big old crowd of people, and he says these words, and these are the words of life. So let's lean into today. He says, "Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives." He who seeks finds, and to him who knocks, the door will be open. Which of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your word. I know that we come into moments like this and, and, and on the prayer spectrum, God, we're all over the place. From, from prayer warriors who got a special room set up at their house to people who the last prayer they prayed was, God, can you let this McDonough traffic just clear up so I can get to the game on time. We're all over the place when it comes to this, Jesus. And I pray that today we realize what a miracle it is that people like us can be heard by a God like you. In your name, amen. So what we've gotten to in this point, I want to recap a little bit of where we're at. Jesus is now circling back the third time into prayer as he's gone through this sermon. All right. So anytime a pastor repeats anything, kind of pay attention, listen up. Anytime Jesus repeats anything, for sure listen, pay attention, lift your eyes up, lift your ear, you know, tune in to what he's saying. And for the third time now, he's diving back into prayer. And remember where we're at in this section of the Sermon on the Mount, where he begins to attack our insecurities that keep us from our identity and who God is and who God's created us to be. And he starts out by by going directly after money. That was the first week we talked about this. We leaned into how money can create so many insecurities in our life, the lack of money or the pursuit of money. And Jesus laid it out very clear that you will either serve God or you will serve another master who is a really terrible master. So he said, serve God and live a life that that allows his kingdom to come in your life, his will to be done in your life. And from there, he began to transition. I think it all kept in the same thought. He talked about anxiety and worry and how those things were attached to our material possessions. He said, don't worry about what you're going to have. Don't worry about what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink. Don't worry about what you're going to wear. And most importantly, don't worry about what people are going to think about you based off of those things. Because again, he's getting after identity. He's getting after who we are. He says, instead... Understand that you have a heavenly father. Don't run after these things. He says pagans run after those things. People who don't understand that they have a heavenly father in God, they run after those, but you got a dad. You got a father in him that loves you. He takes care of birds. Imagine how much more He will take care of you. He clothes uh, flowers in the field. Imagine how much more he's gonna clothe you. And then from there, my friend Jason Johnson did an absolutely amazing job of helping us understand why we have this propensity to judge others. And he tied it even then a back to our insecurities about ourselves. That when I don't think that I measure up or I have a deficiency in my own life, I will look at somebody else and I will go do Olympic level searching to find somebody who has a lower level of that thing that I also got a low level of. And then I'll use them to make me feel good about me. And even in our judging others, we may make it seem like, oh, I'm just trying to protect my brother in Christ, when really it's, I just want myself to feel better about where I'm at in Christ. And Jesus knows all that as well. He takes it all back in this passage to, I don't know if you know who God really is. He's a father. He loves you. He longs to provide the things you need, whether that's money, whether that's clothing, whether that's food and the security that comes with those two things and he longs to provide the deep internal satisfaction that you get by knowing that you are okay without having to look to take your cues from your neighbor, your wife, your kids, or anybody else on planet earth to know that you actually are okay. So on all of that, he comes in and says in verse 7 ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find knock and the door will be opened to you. I love this passage. Ask Seek, knock. It's cool in this passage. One thing I'm just going to give you some low level, like third grader stuff that's really cool about it, and then we're going to get even deeper. So, y'all ready for that? Cool. First thing that's awesome about this passage, I don't know, this is just how the Bible works sometimes. If you look at the acronym, ask, seek, knock, what does it spell? Ask. Isn't that cool? I just thought that was cool. I mean, it's just awesome. Also, um, this passage culminates in 7-Eleven, where, where God says, hey, if you will, you know, go to this, God will provide for you. I just think that's cool that God's always open, like 7-Eleven. Again, these are just really low-level, low-hanging fruit that I wanted to give you, and now we're going to get into some deeper stuff. You ready? Okay, good. I wanted to start you guys out easy. We're going to go training wheels, and then we're going to get, we're going to go like Lance Armstrong day. It's going to be awesome. All right, here's What I want you to see that's happening here, when he says, ask, seek, knock, there's a progression to our prayers. They move in a direction. The the dial of the intensity of those prayers gets turned up. Because think about it like this. Uh, If I'm at my house, and uh, say it's a Friday, my day off, I'm there with my family, um, and maybe I'm not down in the kitchen where everybody else is. If my little boy, my, my little one, Ezra, if he comes up to Jessica and goes, Where's daddy? He made an ask, right? He asked, where's dad? Now, Jessica, she said, am I your father's keeper? Um, she, she wouldn't say that. She, she, don't, she probably don't know either. Um, so she said, "I don't." she would probably, in her very kind way, I don't know, honey. Um, you know what she would say? She would say, go find him, you know? And so from there, Ezra, as persistent as he is, he would begin to look. Now, I don't know how your kids look for you, but my kids, they ask while they seek, dad, dad, where are you? Dad, dad, dad. Your kids ask while they seek. That's what mine do. Now, some of them, they, they seek and sneak. Those are the kids you got to watch out for. you be, they're like, they walking on some wrong things um, when they're looking for you. So, he doesn't find me. Get your minds out of the gutter, guys. Gosh. So he's seeking. Now, upstairs in our master bathroom, um, you, you go into there and there's, there's the bathroom and all that other type of stuff. And then there's inside, you, you open the door to go to the bathroom and then there's a, a door that goes into the closet and there's another door right here and that's just the toilet. All right? And it's, it's, a, it's a one-seater. Uh, there's only room in that place for one person. And when you're in there, you're like you're in there and it's your space. Okay? Now, if that door is closed, my little Ezra as sweet and as innocent as a second-born little baby in the family that he is, do you know what he's still going to do? He's still going to knock. No, the door is locked, people. He's not going <laughs> to open it. <laughs> no. He's going to knock, you know? And, and, and he's probably got past this now as, as, a, as a four-year-old. But, but him at two, like, he's down here. He's, like, sliding the fingers through the door. Dad, are you in there? I need you to see it's me. Here's my fingers. Like, that's how your kids are. That's how my kids are. They ask, they seek, and they knock. And again, because they have this childlike face that you really want to see them, like, they don't care. They just go. They just ask. And asking isn't enough, because they get, Mom, where's Dad? Mom, where's Dad? Is he, where's that Like, no, we gotta go seek. And then we go knock. It progresses, and it moves down until everything about them is incorporated in seeking them out. See, I think that's, where a lot of us get off in kind of this wrong spot when it comes to God, is when it comes to our praying, we just ask the end. But God says, okay, you're looking for this promotion. You're asking for it. Have you sought? Have you started seeking some things? Again, I, Again, Jesus' name... One of the names he's given, and we're getting ready to head towards Christmas, is Emmanuel. Emmanuel means God blank us. Yeah, not just God thinking about us, God sending thoughts and prayers. God with us. He's with us, okay? So if it's God with us, then that means I can ask. And if I'm seeking, it's not just me out here, you know, door of the explorer, seeking after God. It's God with me going after what God has for me. So... He's for me and he's with me and now we're going to go knock on some doors. We're going to pray for some things to be open. And A lot of times in here we'll talk about the Greek words and everything else. I don't necessarily need to go into the Greek words. Uh, Today what I want to draw your attention more to is the tense that these words are written in. We read it as ask, seek, knock. If you were listening to what Jesus was saying here, the tense in which he spoke would have much more sounded like how the New Living Translation Bible actually, I think, gets it right in this point. It's Keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. It almost sounds like a choo-choo train going down the road. Keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking, keep asking, keep seeking. It builds momentum as it goes. I think that's some of what he's after here, that it's this perpetual, intentional movement in the direction of God. Now, which? The cynics in the room, which, again, that's probably where I drift Uh, growing up. The red ninja turtle was my favorite because he was a smart aleck. Um, The person who all, here's what you say, and that sounds really good on paper, but have you thought about X, Y, Z, you know? The cynic in the room, and maybe you've never never said this out loud or you probably haven't said it in a community group, you would go, (laughs) but didn't Jesus just like a few verses ago go, your heavenly father knows what you need before you ask him? Well, why do I got to ask him if he knows what I need before I ask him? Again, let's just be logic here. If he knows what I need before I ask him, why do I need to come ask him? Is it like this special cheat code I can put in like Super Mario where I get an extra, like I can just type it in or if I say these things the right way, I can bully God through persistence in prayer to actually do these things. If I'm asking and seeking and knocking and he already knows, well, why am I asking? What are you after here, Jesus? Why are you telling me to do this? I think the problem is is we think our asking and seeking and knocking is about changing something that has to go on with God. Again, God already knows. And The thing that we maybe fail to realize is that your asking, your seeking, and your knocking has very little to do with him. Your asking, your seeking, your knocking has almost everything to do with you. And this is what he's after here. He's trying to get us to understand that the question is not, is God now ready to give something to me? The question is, am I now ready to receive something from God? And that asking and that seeking and that knocking is the things that prepare my heart to be able to receive what he would now give to me. In that asking, in that seeking, in that knocking. Again, follow the master teacher here. Do you remember the first words out of his mouth as he started the sermon? Blessed are the poor, the people who most have the propensity to ask, seek, and knock. And so he says, when you ask, when you're seeking, when you're knocking, you're taking this humble approach That realize you are not sufficient to meet this need on yourself. So you're going out seeking the Father to be able to provide for that need. You are knocking on that door, doing what you have to do, and keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. You are doing those things and as you're doing those things, what happens oftentimes, you ever start praying for something, and you pray for a lot, and then you get into praying for it, and God's doing some stuff in your heart, and you realize about halfway through that, praying for that thing, you realize, I don't want this thing. Right? You know, the great theologian, I think it was Garth Brooks, said, you know, some of God's greatest gifts are unanswered prayers. Um, and again, you know that to be true because you went to a high school reunion, and you were like, thank Jesus, thank you, thank you, yes, Lord, won't he do it? Or won't he not do it? Really? You know, that's kind of more where it was at. See, in that asking and seeking and knocking, what God is doing is he's preparing our hearts to actually be able to receive what we really need. Um, I'm going to butcher the the quote a little bit, but one of the uh, pastors that I I listen to a lot, and I've quoted him from stage before, Tim Keller, um, he said, If you knew what God knows, you pray for what he gives. I was like, oh, that's. Yeah. At first you're like, mm-mm. Then you're like, yeah, maybe. Another reason we can hear a passage like this on this ask, seek, knock, and we go, Whoa, well. But I look at my I look at my friends and my coworkers and even some folks in my own family. And like I know they're not praying. But God's giving them food. God's giving them money. God made their teeth, kids, grown-up teeth, come in straight and not have to take out a small business loan to afford braces. I, I see these things happening in their life, and and I know they're not praying. And then I look at my own life, and I, I've been praying for, I prayed for mom's cancer not to take her, and it took her. So so where is this asking, seeking and knocking? When I see people I know, or at least I'm pretty sure, again, maybe I'm judging here, but are asking, seeking, and not knocking, they're not asking, not seeking, and not knocking, and their life seems to be okay. They're posting blessed life stuff on Facebook. They're going to the beach, they're they're doing all these things, man. And that life, honestly, God, I'm being real with you, that life looks good. And then I'm 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 here, and sometimes, like. I didn't even pray for the promotion. God just came walk, came and walking in. It's like, Hey, you're doing good, man. I want to give you this promotion. And it just happened. I wouldn't even pray for it. It just showed up. I think the reason we, we ask stuff like this, and we have questions like this, where we go, God, I've not prayed for stuff that's good, and it's happened. And God, I've prayed for bad things to not happen, and it's happened. And then I look around, I see everybody else, and I don't even know, they're probably not praying at all. Other people I know for sure, they're like, I'm an atheist, and I think good things happen in their life. What's happening? Why do I got to ask, seek, and knock? Here's why. The reason that you would ever even, and I'm, I'm, I'm very much, this is me, the reason why we would say those things in the first place is a clear indicator that Satan has lulled us into believing that all the external trappings of this life are all that matter in this life. That their food, that that vacation, that the lack of braces, that whatever it may be, the good health, that all those things are a clear indicator that that is really the life that I'm really most after. Now, I want you to understand something about God and his grace. Bible makes this really clearer from cover to cover that there is this thing called common grace. And God as a good and loving and caring and creator God. He gives us common grace. Common grace is the fact that the sun rises on the righteous and the unrighteous. The, 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 the farmer who whips his slaves, the slave trader, his crops are still maybe gonna grow. And the one who says, I'm gonna do this work by my own hand, his may not. The sister-in-law you have who... She's having kids by accident and you're praying and begging God and nothing's happening. Uh, Is a a kid not a gift from God? Is is the food on, on their table not a gift from God? No, it all is. And it's part of God's good common gifts that he gives to all. He's a good, loving, caring, kind God. Now, I would put those things in the category of creator God. Now, what I love about God is he's not just a creator. He's a father. And any parent in the room will tell you that there are things, there are gifts that you get that you have to be a kid to get. There's this thing called forgiveness that without prayer, you don't just get because you lived on earth. There's this thing called the power to overcome sin and shame and to break out of strongholds and, and, and generational curses that have been a part of your family for years. There's a gift of those that is only given to kids that ask a father who can give those things and provide those things. There's a, a gift of the hope that comes from knowing that that God sent his son to earth to be our hope, to feel what we felt. Again, there's, this, there's a, a father gift of knowing that we as people on earth despite our kids not needing braces, despite um, not being able to conceive, despite not having enough money to make ends meet, despite not having um, to be able to pay off these credit cards, despite all of those things, we can have this assurance that there actually is a God who can empathize with me, who doesn't just sit on his throne in heaven and go, that's how I wrote the play. I'm sorry, we're gonna have to watch it out to the end. But who goes, no, 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 no. I sent my son. He put flesh and blood on it. He became a, a, a child of this earth. He was not just the son of God. He was the son of man. He felt betrayal. He felt tears. He cried those tears. He, he felt shame and rejection. He felt those things. He felt insecurity. He said, foxes have holes and, and they have places that they can go to sleep. I'm the son of man. I don't know where my next meal is coming from. I'm thankful that I got some good friends and a good father that provides, but I don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. I'm trusting him for my daily bread. We have a Savior who can empathize and says every tear that you will cry, I promise will be wiped from your eye when I come and I restore this whole world and I make all things new and we go to a place where there is no more weeping, no more mourning, no more crying, and no more pain. And see, that, that hope is a father gift and you don't get that hope without prayer. And so... We hear what Jesus says of ask, seek, knock. And hopefully, we're now beginning to see where all of our excuses for why we don't ask, seek, and knock fall away. See, that's one of Satan's absolute best strategies, guys. is to get you to realize and overemphasize everything that is going on in almost everybody else's life so that you miss out on how God wants to provide specifically for yours. He wants us distracted so that we don't ask, we don't seek, and we don't knock. And this is where Jesus comes back. And again, if you, if you see a Jesus our pastor or anybody who's reiterating the points and truths of God's word, saying things again, which he does. Again, I, I, sorry that I'm only one verse through here, but I told you. Um, that's why I started you out easy. Um, seven uh, Matthew 7, verse 8. Again, completely reiterates the point. Which everything I just said, multiplied by two. For every one... Who asks, receives. The one who seeks, find. And the one who knocks, the door will be open. Next week we're going to talk about the golden rule. The golden rule hinges upon this golden promise: that the one who asks will receive. The one who seeks will find. And the one who knocks, the door will be open. Now, again, um, we got to be Bible people, not Bible verse people. So you can take that Matthew 7.8 and go, for everyone who asks, receives. We're like, everyone? What do we mean by that? Is everyone everyone or or is there a catch? Well, I think everyone who asks God for God will without a doubt receive God. If you ask God to give you faith, if you ask God to give you repentance and forgiveness and grace, without a doubt he will give you those things. If you have not gotten that thing though, and you start asking God for all sorts of things, good luck. You may get some common grace, but you won't get father gifts. Kids get those. And kids get brought into the family by accepting what their big brother Jesus did so that they could be adopted into the family by his blood. And so he comes right out of the gate. He says, for everyone who asks, and again, that's every, that everyone in my, in my humble understanding of God's word, that is everyone who is in me, aligned with me, when Jesus talked about the vine and the branches, he said, abide in me. And whatever you ask in my name, it will be given to you. I think the problem with my prayer life, oftentimes, is I'm asking God for all these things without not double-checking if I'm actually abiding in him. And I wonder, why there's no fruit? Well, I think this is the root of that problem. And what he means by this, again, to, to help you understand what he's not saying, when he says, everyone who asks... Even if, even, okay, say, put yourself, I am in the prayer closet and I am seeking after God. And man, have you ever just met those people? They're just like direct line people. They just, act, like, when you have a prayer request, you're like, okay, like, I, I may let Pastor Trent know, but I'm definitely letting sister so-and-so know because, like, maybe it's coincidence. I don't know what it is, but, like, God, they just, like, got God on speed dial, and he just answers their stuff. We just, we met those people. What he's not saying here is God's going to say yes to everything you ask. That's, that's, that's very dangerous. And again, remember what Jesus is pointing his character towards. He's a father. I would be a terrible dad if on Sunday night when my kids asked, Dad, can we eat all, my, all the Halloween candy? I'd be a bad dad if I said, Yes, you have beseeched me. I'm a good, good father. That's who I am. That's who I am. Eat your candy. That would be a bad idea. I would not do that. In the same way that If God had given you everything you'd asked for, everybody in this room would be be going, I don't know if he's good or not. If he'd given you everything you thought was good for you. And so he comes in and he says this, reiterates that point, and then he gives us an illustration to help drive this home even more. Matthew 7, 9. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Again, he's talking to a room full of mothers and fathers. He's saying, hey, if if your son asks for a piece of bread, what are you going to give him? stones? No. He knows that everybody's going to go, no, we, would, we wouldn't do that. Then to, again, reiterate the point, 7.10. Or if he asks for a fish, we'll give him a snake. No. They're not going to do that. And then verse 11, he says, if, then, if you then, though you were evil, and again, that's not Jesus trying to make you. That's not Jesus preaching to a room full of criminals, prostitutes, and tax collectors. Like you got to know the context. Jesus is talking to a room full of people who are religious, non-religious, mixed bag people. He's not trying to say you're this group of people who are specifically evil. No, he's saying the same thing that he would say to a room like this. I think he would say the exact same thing through his word to us today. We all, because of our sins, have fallen short of the glory of God. It has nothing to do with how many sins you've committed. It has nothing to do with how grand, supposedly, your sin is, whether it's murder or stealing a Snickers bar. All of your sins were done against a holy God, and they have much more to do with who you did it against than what you did. And so he says, because of that, you all are evil. And then he uses the same argument style that he did when he was talking about not worrying and not being anxious. Again, remember what he did. He drew back into birds and flowers. And he did what's called a, a lesser to greater argument. You see these in Jesus' teaching. He does it in the uh, Sermon on the Mount. He does it in other parables that he does. And he makes this argument that if this lesser thing would have this scenario happen, how much more would your great heavenly father do these things? That's why he said the thing about, you know, if, if God takes care of little insignificant birds, billions of them. Anybody start seeing more cardinals, by the way, after that week? I, I see them everywhere now. Um, he takes care of those how much more will he take care of you well, look at the grass of the field God takes care of that and it's uh, here today and throw tomorrow it's thrown into the fire how much more will he care for you and he does this again now now he takes it off of birds and flowers and he puts it on us fathers and he says you're wicked like you went into your kids halloween candy and took out all the ones you wanted you're wicked You're wicked. And he says, but somehow you still know how to give gifts. And he says, How much more will your heavenly father give good gifts to those who ask him? And I read that this week, and that was probably one of the most convicting things about this. He says, How much more will your heavenly father give good gifts to those who act him, ask him? Good gifts to those who ask him. And man. The conviction fell on me at that verse like a a ton of bricks because I just found myself asking, how many good gifts have I missed out on simply because I didn't ask? And then um, I don't know if this was a Holy Spirit-inspired spiral of destruction that I happened to go on in my mind or if it was Satan, I don't know. Regardless, I think God redeemed it and we pulled out of the nosedive. But I started thinking much more than just myself. And I started out thinking, well, man, how many good gifts from God have I missed out on because I didn't ask? And I did a few funerals this past week, and one in particular for a dear woman who lost a battle with cancer but won a battle with sin. All the people are just on a recurring thing as they were talking about her life. It says she was a gift. It was a gift to know her. And then it hit me. I was like, Oh, man. I've missed out on some gifts because I haven't asked. But how much have the people in my life missed out on the gift that I could have been because of what God was doing in me if I had asked him to have those gifts be present in my life to them? And I'm going, how much of a gift of a husband has Jessica missed out on because I didn't ask? How much of a gift of a dad have my boys missed out on because I didn't even ask? And then to you guys, how much of a gift of a pastor has MCC in this city missed out on because I maybe have not asked as much as I should? And and again, I don't know if that's a Holy Spirit spiral or what, but I dare you to go down that road too in your own life and to begin to ask those questions. How much of a gift have I been missing out on because I just simply haven't asked? And again, track with the whole passage, Jesus is making all of this contingent on the character of God as Father. In a room this size, and an online audience this size, and everybody listening on the podcast as weeks go on, I know that's really hard. Many of you are like me and you have a father wound. And knowing that you're supposed to just come to God and ask so he can knock and go to him and ask these things for him, man, that's a hard hurdle to get over because the only context you have for Father is the jacked up excuse for one that you had. And some of you in the room, you had a great one. And there were great, amazing things that they did. But even then, you're confined into that context by how good that dad was. And so the great dad that your heavenly father is, it may even be hard to jump to for that. And so I know that's a hard hurdle to get over. And saying, you're a good God, I can humbly go to you and ask. Because most of us, man, if we, had, if we had an absent dad, we just did what we wanted to do. We didn't have to worry about any repercussions from them. They didn't care. They weren't around. A lot of us, we had a a, a mother figure in our life or a grandmother figure in our life or maybe a grandfather figure in our life who would allow the hammer to come down. But from the father figure, no. And then others of you, you had the dad who was home. And maybe he was the hard-driving, overbearing father. And as soon as you messed up there, your first thought wasn't, ooh, I gotta run, tell dad so I can get repentance and things can get right. You're, when you messed up with overbearing, like, I know everything that's happening in your life, that dad, when you messed up with him, you hid. And your eight-year-old, eight-year-old habits, I found their way into your 28, 38, 48-year-old spiritual walk with your Heavenly Father, and that's not good. And so we've got to get over this hurdle to be able to get these gifts that he longs to give us. And I debated on whether or not this, this is, this is kind of past the red zone line that I, I usually allow um, my messages to get into. But some of you know my story, and so it shouldn't be hard to imagine. Again, I, I don't really know what you think a pastor's prayer life should be like, but I'm going to let you behind um, the veil, so to speak, a little bit here. Um, when it comes to me personally asking seeking and knocking i struggle with that i don't feel like i struggle with prayer but the ask seek knock the persistence that hard drive let's get after this let's go to the closet let's do these things man it's hard and i think some of why that's hard is i feel like in every relationship and this all stems from the father relationship in my life I almost, uh, sometimes, and again, this is probably when I'm over-exaggerating, which is one of the things, that's one of Satan's favorite sports to get us to participate in. When I'm in those places, I believe this lie that in every relationship, it is dependent on me pursuing to make it happen. Me, Me being the one who puts in the effort. Me being the one who texts, me being the one who creates the thing, me being the one who schedules the meeting, me being the one who does the thing, and so it almost feels like—and again, this is me believing a lie that Satan wants me to jump to a conclusion on—it it can feel like it, if it do, if it doesn't have effort on my end, then it won't work. It won't be successful. It won't thrive. Anybody else ever been there? And you feel like you're tired. You feel tired. You're like, man, I just—and and, and honestly, that baggage. You come to a verse like this where Jesus is like, ask, seek, and knock. And you're like, another relationship where I've got to do, like, it's on me again? And this time it's God. It's not my boss. It's not my, you know, stepsister. It's God. Like, man, that's tough. And if you dealt with a father wound, if you've dealt with some big rejection in your life, man, that makes it that much harder. And what I want to walk you through here as I end is I think I think the worst, I think the worst thing that could happen is that you believe that lie from the pit of hell, that your relationship with God is fully contingent on your asking, your seeking, and your knocking. Matter of fact, I want to show you through God's word that it is actually just the opposite. That like many things in the Christian walk, there is the divine paradox. That all the while you are asking, you are seeking, and you are knocking, we have a God who is doing the exact same thing to us. Let me show you. Let's go to Genesis, very beginning. Genesis chapter 3 verse 9. Let's see if we can show you guys this. Genesis chapter 3 verse 9. We're told to ask. Genesis 3 9, but the Lord God called to the man... Let me put you in context here so we know what's going on. This is right after Buck Naked, Adam, and Eve have bitten in to whatever fruit they just bit into that they were not supposed to bite into. And in this moment, all of the wisdom that knows I have fallen short of God's glory and now sinned against him has now flooded into their being. They know they messed up, and so they are running and hiding. And again, hiding. Now look what God says. But the Lord God called to the man. Again, I could spend a whole uh, month on that part right there. The Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? See, man, if we, we get down here on planet Earth and we think that man, everything is contingent on me asking and me asking and me talking to God and we forget that we have this God who from cover, Genesis, to, I'm gonna show you a second, to Revelation, has been asking this question, where are you? And not, and that's probably the wrong tone to put it in. It's not this accusatory. It's not, I man. you ever seen, I forget which Dark Knight, you know, Batman movie it is, where where he's going. Where are they? Like, it's not that type of. Where are you? It's a. I mean, put yourself in the garden that day. Sun's getting ready to set. You can smell fear in the air. You hear the thundering footsteps of your Father God trembling in your shame and you hear that father's voice who you've grown accustomed to the first voice you ever heard was the first eyes you locked eyes with when you woke up and you hear him say where are you? where are you? where are you? now remember friends God did not not know where they were exactly where they were. But in his loving kindness, in his foreknowledge of our now sinful condition, he knows that the one thing my sons and my daughters need to hear from me in this moment is that I'm still actively pursuing you in your sin, in your shame, in you just jacking up literally the whole story from here on out. Where are you? I know where you're at. But I need you to know that I want to know where you're at. Some of you, that's the thing you got to know today. You think that God doesn't care where you're at. He he wants you to know that he wants to know exactly where you're at. He is asking. He didn't just stop at the asking. It'd be one thing if God was just like, where are you? I know you're probably going to ignore it, but where where are you? His love didn't stop there. His love through what one man did. was initiated in a promise that became the Son of Man. And in Luke, in Luke 19.10, we see the purpose of this true Adam. And Luke 19 says, for the Son of Man, gives us the whole purpose of this, again, Son of Man, also Son of God, but very strategically, Son of Man. For the Son of Man came to Seek. God from, genera- from from generations early in Genesis begins to ask, where are you? And sends his son to seek you. To seek you out. And again, n- n- not to seek you. to, to hear your, your divorce papers. Here, you're, you've just been served. I don't know if you knew this or not, but you've done some really bad things against God and you definitely want to read line 73. He has not forgot about that. Like that's not seeking you out to show you how far you've fallen. He's seeking you out to save you, to save you, to save that which was lost. But listen, you'll do his rescue mission for you a big old favor if you'll just real quick recognize that you are lost. That's the most prideful thing. That's why I think he asked us to have childlike faith, a child real quick to go, I don't know where I'm at. And we've all been in the car with the dad, and maybe we've been the dad who's too prideful to pull over and ask for directions and go, I am lost. Because that's what asking for direction, that's what asking for help means. It it's, it's comes with it an admittance that I don't know how to do this. And again, circle all the way back to Matthew 5, verse 3. First words out of the mouth of this great sermon Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. From here, we see all along, we have this God who asks. We have this God who seeks, and then all the way to the end of the book, the book of Revelation, where we learn how this thing is going to end. We hear the words of Jesus speaking to one church in particular, but the church as a whole. He says in verse 20, chapter 3, Here I am. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. And if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and I will eat with that person. And again, I'm going to do the most fellowship-oriented, loving thing that I could possibly do. I'm going to break bread with you. I'm going to come in and we're going to eat together. Because echoing through eternity is a God who has been asking about you, who has been seeking you, and who at this very moment is knocking on the door of your heart. When you put that in context, that frees you. It's got to free you, friend, from this burden to go. It's all on me. I gotta seek. I gotta ask. I gotta knock. I gotta ask. I gotta seek. I gotta knock. No, surrender. Surrender. Everything starts in this walk. That is a walk of faith. Everything starts with surrender to the God who is going. Where are, you, Where are you, son? Where are you, son? Where are you, daughter? Come on in. Come on home. Come on in. Where are you at? Where are you at? Where are you at? Where are you at? Are you at? I need you to hear my voice. I'm going to keep asking. Where are you? Where? Are Where are you? I'm going to ask and ask and ask some more. I'm going to show you my Savior who's going to seek you in the big things and the small things. Seek, seek, seek. And I'm going to continue to knock on your door. Your ring camera is going to get notification after notification after notification because my face is not leaving. I will stay here as long as it takes. And then when you you receive that and you surrender to that God, who has very clearly shown you that there is no amount, there is no weight, there is no measure of your sin that would keep me from asking about you, seeking you, and knocking on the door of your heart, then you're free to go, yes, God, I will seek you. I will come after you, our loving Father. How could I not? How could I get consumed and be insecure with the trappings of this world when I have a Father like you who provides for me and loves for me the way you do? And then Jesus, I love how he ends this verse sum it all up he says then friends I'm going to come in and we're going to eat and he sets the table with this the meal that you eat is the very thing that made the meal possible you don't get a Jesus knocking on your door if there is not a way made for that door to be opened and you to come out of. And because the, the door of the tomb was opened and he resurrected, now, because of that broken body and that poured out blood, now he invites you to come to that very table and say, friend, taste and see that I am good. And the Father has sent me seek and to save that which was lost. And for some of you in this room, you know you've opened that door. And you received him in as Lord and Savior. And and now it's on you coming back into these moments where you recognize and realize that you need to ask, seek, and knock more. That you have left gifts from a loving Heavenly Father on the table. And so much of your insecurities in your life is you are living your life as if you never opened that first door to Jesus no friend, he's at the table across from you. Quit treating him like he is not there. He's with you. Now there are some of you, a whole different category of people. You have never opened your door of your heart and your life to surrender to Jesus and his call on your life. And Today I pray that you would invite him to be your Lord and Savior. That you would realize that he is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father. This Father who has these gifts. No one comes to him except through Jesus. And that you would take of this meal. And that you would go down to the waters of baptism. And I'll baptize you today. That water is always warm here at NCC. we got clothes. we got everything that you need in this moment to surrender your whole life to him to say I'm being buried with Christ I'm being raised up anew and maybe today is not your day you can mark that down on the connect card if you're giving your life to him I love to walk with you through that because I said this at the second service I'll say it again our first service you are the second service listen there is nothing more I think miserable than thinking that you have to ask and seek and knock by yourself look around friends online I'm sure it's probably in the chat too we do this together man this is why we have each other. This is what this whole city nights thing on the 15th, that's what all that is about. To remind us that I don't have to ask God and seek God and knock on his door by myself, that I get to do that collectively. You ever realize how something that's incredibly hard becomes so much easier when more people get behind it and start pushing that same direction? And I pray that through the prayers of the saints, if you are not in Christ today, that you feel the urge, you know that that thing happening inside of you right now is the Holy Spirit saying, where are you? As you hear the gentle whisper of your Heavenly Father going, son, I don't like where you're headed. And I already sent my only begotten son all the way there and back, so you never have to go there daughter, I don't like where you're headed but I sent my son there and back so that you would never have to go there and I pray that today you would surrender your life to him let him fill you as you receive communion repent of all the gifts you've left on the table between you If you're wanting to put your heart and it's faith and trust in Jesus today, you can fill out one of those connect cards. mark that on there. You can put that in the box. You can bring it up to me afterwards. I'll be here. And if you're here and you've got something that you've been perpetually asking and seeking and praying for God to answer in your life, and I I don't want to just say stuff. I want us to put our money where our mouth is here. Write that on that card. I, the people around you and myself included we don't just we can't intuit your prayers we, we, we need each other to gather together to pray for these our staff we, we'd love to gather together on our Tuesday staff meeting prayer and Bible study man we would love to, to, to take stacks of cards and begin to petition and pray for the things alongside of you that you're asking and seeking God for so in the back of the chair grab a pen grab a card fill those out let today let our action step be to let's let's ask seek and knock together Jesus, be magnified. I pray that my friends and my family today see you as who you really are. That the weight of the pressure that maybe would come I feeling like we have to ask, seek, and knock, or it's not going to happen, would fade away. As we know that from the very beginning of time you've been asking, seeking, knocking on the doors of our heart. And I pray that today they would be surrendered to you. In your name.